alien spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. Hello and welcome to the 109th annual Subliminal Deception Podcast, your weekly dose of conspiracy theory bullshit. My name is Cody. I'm joined by my pal Phil. How are you? Doing good, buddy. How about yourself? Not doing too bad. Another uh, week in paradise, working, enjoying the cold cloudy minnesota weather uh that's fantastic how's your weather oh it's uh it's getting you know pretty good it was pretty fucking hot this weekend but starting to cool down a tiny bit so i went out to the pool this weekend took it all in it was nice uh people are starting to drive like fucking psychopaths so you know it's getting hot out almost <laughs> gotten another accident on the way home yesterday Ooh. So. all right maybe you better invest in i don't know a segue well, here's the thing. I have a super shitty car that I don't care gets in a wreck, and I have full insurance on it. So I'll just there go buy another go. shitty car. You can buy another. You can buy another G6 or G5. No, I'm actually thinking about getting one of those uh, one of those light duty pickup trucks for the next time I want to move. So I have something like that. There you go. I can see you rocking a Ranger. Is that what you're talking about? Like a Ranger or a. Uh... Maybe like a Nissan Frontier, one of the there newer ones go. that kind of look like Tundras, like Hell little yeah. brother Tundras. Hell yeah. yeah. Those are pretty nice, actually. Yeah, they are. They're nice now. If you got like a 90s version, that thing was kind of a <laughs> kind of a pile. You see Al-Qaeda <laughs> driving those fuckers around <laughs> the fucking deserts, but yeah. My favorite is when you see them driving around and it has like an American business on the side of it or something. <laughs> Oh, yeah, we were talking about that before. That's That's just pretty good. You know what? I wanted to bring up before we get in here. I fired up a show I know you and I used to watch uh, quite frequently when you lived here. Old Monster Quest. Oh, yeah. Fuck. Man, that was a good, like, I have nothing else to watch show. And it's, I think all the seasons are free on Amazon Prime right now. Yeah, that was a great show. It was kind of like the original like search for cryptid show because now there's a shit ton of them. And normally they're just like the uh, whatever the search for Sasquatch one is with the with the weirdo guys. Uh, I hate that one. I've seen <laughs> like maybe three episodes of it. I can't stand it. Yeah, I I love don't get me wrong. I love Bigfoot stuff, but like when it's a whole daytime series or whatever, it's just it's too much. Like, I don't need to see grown, hairy men howling into the woods for an hour every single week. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if they went and looked for, like, more cryptids, like that Monster Quest was, not just Sasquatch. If they go look for, like, the Jersey Devil or Chupacabra, you know what I mean? Like, kind of, like, look for, like, variety. Like, mix it up. Yeah. You know? I totally agree. I was watching, I think it was the first season, like, the second episode was about Sasquatch, and they had one of the prominent, I can't remember what you call a foot specialist, a podiatrist or okay. some, but he wasn't a doctor. He just like studies bones, basically. 
and he's like really big in the Bigfoot community. But they had him from like 15 years ago or something. God, he looks so much younger. Oh, back then compared to now? Yeah, Yeah. I think the Sasquatch community has really rode him hard and put him away wet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is great when you see some of those shows when the uh, the specialist comes in there and he's like, oh, yeah, no, that was just somebody with a really big, like, fake foot. Because you can tell, he can, like, tell because there's no, like, um, toe imprints. There's no, like, how the heel and everything. It's cool when they can actually look and point out things like, oh, yeah, you can tell this is actual foot because of how the toes like dug into the ground and how the heel like dragged when it went forward. That's kind of cool when they have those guys. Yeah. Do you, have you been watching anything? Oh, I have been on the hunt uh, for a new series. I did start watching this thing called Ruggerford Falls. It's got the dude from the office. Um, the guy who was the boss in the office in the, like the last season uh, it's kind of weird. I don't think I'm going to be watching it past the third episode that I watched. <laughs> He's basically like his great, great, great grandfather founded the town. And the the statue of that man is in the middle of the road and he's trying to keep it there. And it's kind of like twisting curves and that kind of stuff. But it's kind of boring. So I might yeah. quit it. What, what uh, platform is that on? That is on Amazon Prime, I mm. believe. I believe it's one of the Prime originals. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm like desperately trying to find something like I can latch on to. I don't know why. I just have not been able to find anything that was intriguing. I started watching that haunt show that's on Netflix. Like okay. it's, I watched a few, the previous few seasons and I watched like two episodes and it was just like the first episode of the new season was kind of, I don't want to call her a liar. But it's just, I don't know, it just seems too too out there. Like, ooh, we moved into a cabin that a serial killer used to kill people at, but we didn't realize there's a torture room. And it's just like, come on. I, I don't know. Yeah, I kind of hate those shows where they, well, they put their most eccentric people out there. And you can tell that they're like hamming it up for the camera. And I would like to see, like, I really like to watch the ones where it's the amateur people who aren't, you know, trying to like, you know, jazz it up. They aren't trying to like pep everything up. Like it's the crate, like they hear a little crack, like the, like the foundation, Uh, the house is settling into the foundation and they make it seem like, you know, a vase just fucking flew across the room. I hate that, that shit in those ghost shows. I, yeah. Well, this one, like haunt is literally just people telling their ghost stories but, okay. Uh, which is my favorite type, but it's just like, I feel like they added a little bit of flair to uh, mm-hmm. spice up their story. But I don't know. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't really know. But uh, anyway, Phil, why don't we let you take the reins and lead us on a uh, fun adventure here? All right. Well, let's get started here. In the United States, every child's educational experience in primary school is different, depending on what state they live in, what kind of specialty programs the school might offer, public versus private. Now there's even charter, which is kind of a mix of the two. However, for many, many decades now, there has been one thing in common to everyone's educational experience, and that has been what was served at lunchtime. Oh, yeah. As all school cafeterias across the United States have had one major thing in common, and that one thing is 
the small carton of milk forced upon all of us. Every single child, every single day has had to endure. Okay, have you confirmed this is still what kids drink? I'm pretty sure that milk is still like forcibly served, but I think there is uh, the choice of a bottle. And I will get into it later on why it did change to a bottle. But okay. It might be a plastic bottle now, but I do know that the cartons are still around in some schools. So I do know that milk is still like you still have to have milk in the primary schools. Okay. Interesting. I figured maybe we've switched it up to like juice or, you know, something like that. Yeah. Like people that I've met along the way, like after I got out of school, out, out of town and everything, I have heard people who were actually given options, but there was always the thing where like they had to take a carton of milk. So. <laughs> you got it. You know what? One final thing before you continue on here. When you said every primary school is different uh, depending on what state they live in. So all the first thing that came to my mind is like Southern schools that I've heard. <laughs> Don't call it the Civil War. They call it the Northern War of Aggression. Uh, that was yeah. my favorite uh, <laughs> thing that I've heard about Southern schools. And you end every Pledge of Allegiance in Alabama with Roll Tide. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you cheers your carton of milk and say Roll Tide. Unless you... it's that town that Auburn's in, then they probably say War Eagle. But <laughs> Is that their, is that, that's their thing? Yeah, Auburn's is a War Eagle. All right. Yeah, that's their big thing. That's kind of just to combat the Roll Tide sayings, so. Gotcha. Now, it's an awful thought to have, and it's enough to make anyone gag. Just thinking about it, that damp blue cardboard box with the horrible opening on top that never seems to work properly, and what usually comes with that opening, the adhesive fibers that go right where the bottom of your mouth is. It is the absolute <laughs> worst part of the meal, and worst of all, is the watered-down milk inside that everyone wished would have been chocolate milk every single day. Okay, Phil, I'm just going to point out something, and I'm guessing the audience is going to agree. You are giving off an aura of someone who is very bitter about these cartons of milk. I was very bitter when I was growing up because basically you had to have a note from your doctor saying that you were lactose intolerant <laughs> in order to get water. Where they had the little water jug, there was two glasses of water. There was two people who were lactose intolerant. I, I, I asked very often for water and I was never given it. Well, you, so, you had a drinking fountain. They never gave you a cup though. Mm. They had a pitcher with some, they didn't have a drinking fountain down in the church basement though. True. So, true. They had a pitcher with two glasses on it. And one was for, I forgot who it was in the class above us, but one was for that kid that no one liked in the class below us. The, uh, the weird kid. Uh, well, I do know this. Uh, you must have some serious PTSD from this because I don't even remember glasses of water. Like or maybe I've just sort of scrubbed that entire existence out of my mind, but <laughs> I barely even remember eating lunch in that cafeteria. Yeah. The milk was really the worst part, though. How it used to come, sometimes it was frozen and had little chunks of water, like the ice in it. And then there was sometimes where the fucking carton lid wouldn't open. So you had to like basically just kind of like drop it out, like suck it out of there when it wouldn't open or rip it open <laughs> from the side. Well, you could have, you know, um, since we were in a church basement eating lunch, you could have 
maybe went upstairs and drank the holy water. Drank the wine. You know, yeah. old people used to spit in that, right? The they used yeah. to spit it back into the cup. You gotta you share Ugh. God's blood, man. <laughs> it's fucking disgusting. <laughs> Now, though I have heard from others, like I mentioned before, that their school lunches were different, with some of my old friends telling me that they were given the option to drink juice or instead, or even maybe water. Ooh. It has always boggled my mind as to why so many of us children were forced to consume that disgusting drink each and every day. And that is the topic for today's episode, The Dairy Conspiracy and the milk propaganda machine and its gradual and much needed decline in America. So you're going you're going hard on goddamn Kemp's here. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the the 2% whole or whole milk. I do like chocolate milk. I will drink chocolate milk, but I can't have too much of it cuz uh, it doesn't agree with my stomach very well. Okay. So, so you don't like any milk besides well, chocolate. Besides chocolate. No, I don't like any milk besides chocolate. Okay. So then you probably don't like cereal? I put chocolate milk in it. Okay. All right. There you go. Raisin Bran Crunch with chocolate milk Ooh. is really good, actually. You're I used mi- to eat that in basic. You're, really you're missing out on... I've been eating Captain Crunch with berries, uh, <laughs> Fruity Pebbles... Frosted Flakes. Now I've I've went of that was my old that was my old favorite uh, Frosted Flakes. Yeah, I was lucky growing up because my mom was actually lactose intolerant, so she never forced us to drink milk. So whenever we we didn't we weren't really a cereal family either. You know what's what's funny now that you say that because my mom is too, um, but she just keeps doing it and then complains about a stomachache afterwards, but. Uh, yeah, we didn't really have, my dad liked glasses of milk, and that was, like, the only person. Nobody else did it. Yeah, my dad drank milk, too, and the only time I ever willingly, like, used milk was when I would, like, put it in my coffee when I was a little kid. I Mm. would put, because he put milk with his coffee, and my mom doesn't like creamer, so she never bought creamer. I gotcha. Hey, I'm right there with your mom. Which I use creamer now. You, You like creamer. Yeah, I like creamer. When I lived with my sister, I found out how much she liked creamer because I would buy a whole bottle of creamer and it'd be gone in four days because <laughs> she liked to have a little bit of coffee with her creamer. So. Okay. All right. Shit well, time. that's how, that's how no. you drink it. Uh, yeah, I just like a splash of half and half. That's my uh, that's my go-to. Yeah. It's, I mean, half and half's okay. It just, you know, doesn't like make my coffee taste very good. I don't like it. I really? kind of like the uh, I like the flavors. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. I get teach their own. Yeah. I'm gonna throw this out there. We were talking about lactose intolerance, and we're gonna talk about it a few more times. But lactose intolerance, a lot of people don't think it's very common. But there's a actually a spectrum of people who are lactose intolerant, like in some form. Like there's some people who like cannot have any lactose at all, mm-hmm. or they will immediately just be a fucking like a volcano out their ass. Yeah. But like people who have some form of lactose intolerance, it's about 65 to 70% of the world's population. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm going to guess you're going to talk about it, but I mean, there's always that rumor or belief that it's like unnatural for humans to be drinking another creature's milk. Well, it's unnatural for anyone older than a toddler to be drinking milk 
at all. It mm. milk is not meant to be drank by anyone over the age of like three. <laughs> so, and I'll get into that in a in a second here. Okay. Kind of whenever you see the people doing like the milk challenges where they try to chug a gallon of milk, the reason why they throw up. Like some people can make it like halfway through. The reason why they throw up is because of the lactose sugar that's in milk and how the body is not meant to drink it, not meant to have lactose. I, yeah, I believe that. You know what? I'm going to, one thing before you continue on here. So because I work in a GI clinic, you know, there's a lot of people who come in who have celiac, which Mm -hmm. is, uh, they can't eat gluten and it changes they can tell if you have it by like how I believe it's your colon looks. Um, I don't know if it's the same for lactose though, but a lot of people do come in for problems like that as well. They can tell if you have it, if you have a man bun and a <laughs> fucking lumberjack beard and you wear flannel, that's how they can tell that. Oh yeah. You're gluten, you're gluten intolerant, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How'd you know? I just go wild guess. Look, let me tell you this from people I've heard who have that it's such a horrible disease i think they'd rather have a man bun than deal with that shit oh no i'm not talking about the people who are actually oh gluten intolerant i'm talking about the people who are chasing a fad yeah gotcha yeah if you actually had it it'd be fucking terrible yeah but the people who claim they are just so they can you know give themselves a little fucking pat on the back a little up in the you know social well they saw the south park about your dick blowing off and they don't want that to happen Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Now, as per usual, you're going to get from me a little bit of history on the subject. And I'm going to share with you right now about a history on milk production and consumption. Oh, yeah. So beginning about 10,000 years ago, if you believe that the earth is actually that old, Mm. the domestication of cattle, which closely followed the much smaller sheep and goats, began in ancient region known as Anatolia. Uh, now known as the country of Turkey. The milk that those ancient people gathered from the cows was actually quickly turned into butter and cheese. Uh, This is because of milk's obviously notoriously poor shelf life and the lack of any means for the ancients to artificially refrigerate that milk. Mm, Now, the milk was gathered by early men and women. However, they couldn't actually drink that milk. Because the genes that would allow for a tolerance of lactose in adults wouldn't have mutated yet and wouldn't actually begin to appear until the 6th millennia BCE, about 8,000 years ago. Uh, This is because only really, like I mentioned before, small children, uh, toddlers, are meant to consume the lactose sugar. That's because milk is not necessary for adults to drink. Here's here's my ultimate question. If you're a young Earth creationist, right? Um... Do you assume if you hear these dates that they were probably could could have potentially been milking dinosaurs? I don't actually think that so dinosaurs aren't mammals. So I don't look think here. Here's what I think is funny about your statement right there. You're trying to (laughs) rationalize younger. You're joking, but Look, they look, if they think dinosaurs and humans existed before Noah's Ark, they can put nipples and milk whatever the fuck they want. Like because that's just a fairy tale that they've already created, so why not just add a little flair to it? That is true. If they can put a saddle on the back of a triceratops, <laughs> then they can put fucking udders on it too, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. <laughs> 
Now, though milk during that time may have been consumed during times of extreme famine or drought, the numbers of human adults able to actually safely drink milk without having the same troubles as a person with lactose intolerance would experience today has slowly gone up over the millennia. So well, it's it's not like a thing where all of a sudden everyone could drink milk. This was kind of like uh, like the the blue eyed genetic mutation. It probably started with a small group of people, like a family unit, and then kind of like moved out of that family unit as they procreated. So gotcha. Okay. Well, here's the other thing I was kind of curious about with this. So if they were drinking milk, they I mean, I can't say this for certain, but I would assume they didn't really understand that was what was making them sick because there are so many diseases. And like, mm. I don't know why in my head I envision like 75% of the population constantly had um, dysentery. So they're probably <laughs> shitting their brains out constantly anyway or food poisoning or like something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, really, it comes with trial and error with you know, what you can eat and what you can't eat. And if you're if you're kind of like this nomadic tribe, you got to think that there's going to be older people who tell the younger people, like, don't eat that herb. Don't eat that, you know, the, the weeds growing on the ground. Like, don't eat that one because that one's going to make you fucking have a fountain out of your ass. Or don't eat that mm. one because that one's going to make you break out in hives. Right. So, I mean, it's really important for them to know what they can and can't eat because they don't have, you know, they don't have labels on their food. They don't have that kind of stuff. Right. So it's an everyday thing for you, what you can and cannot eat. So. True. Very true. They also, I was going to, well, this is kind of a little weird thing, but it's kind of like how hundreds of years ago, they assumed that tomatoes were actually poisonous for you. They thought this because the glaze that they used for like when they, when they would like kiln pottery, they would use this glaze that had lead in it. So when you would like have tomatoes cut up on that glaze, on that uh, piece of pottery, the plate or whatever, it would bleach out the lead and get you sick. So they thought that tomatoes were poisonous. So it's one of those deals where, oh, I ate that and now I'm sick. It must be that that's fucking me up. And drinking milk, if you're like super lactose intolerant, you would have an immediate reaction. So. Right, right, right. I know a kid who uh, is literally so lactose he'll like die if he has any of it. So yeah, it can get pretty extreme. Definitely. Now, after the genes for lactose intolerance had become more and more widespread, not a whole lot had changed about milk consumption as it was still being processed into cheese and butter and only drank relatively close to farm communities as taking it long distance would cause the sellers to run into the same problem that we kind of had back in the 1800s with bacteria growth inside the liquid. Now, the big change, though, would come in 1864 when Louis Pasteur's process of pasteurization was discovered. Uh, his process was eventually applied by Franz von Soxlet in 1886. Uh, he was a German-born agricultural scientist who was also the first scientist to describe the sugar that milk contained, lactose. Uh, this basically is taken from the Latin word lac, meaning milk, and os, meaning sugar. Now, prior to milk pasteurizations, millions had died from the bacteria that milk produced. And it, they would catch diseases like tuberculosis, diphtheria, typhoid fever, and scarlet fever, which could all be passed through the milk bacteria in raw milk. 
Yeah, you know what? Uh, we just I just talked about uh, old Louis Pasteur, fucking badass dude. But uh, yeah, it's funny you say this because according to my dad, when he was younger, my grandpa on that side of the family, they were dairy farmers. That was like their thing, and yeah. he said his dad <laughs> would straight up just drink the fucking milk straight from the cow sometimes. Yeah, that's actually, I mean, when the quicker you get it, like drink it out of the udder, basically, you know, drinking it out of the pail wouldn't be that bad because bacteria hasn't had time to grow because it hasn't been outside of the cow's body for that long. So if you don't refrigerate it right away and you wait a few days, that's when the bacteria is going to start growing more and more and more. So I just, I I mean... It would be so thick, though. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. that and, like, the warmness to it and just, ugh. I, yeah. It's an old, old Norwegian man, so I guess there's <laughs> that. But, uh, yeah. Grandpa. I mean, <laughs> we're going to talk about it later on, but the consumption of raw milk is actually illegal now. Uh, it is legal in some states, but interstate sale of it is definitely illegal, which, I mean, really runs into problems with, the Amish who still try to kind of like do some black market shit. Yeah. Selling raw Bast- milk. Those so. bastards. Definitely. Now this was due to the long and unrefrigerated distances that milk would have to travel to make it to the cities. Also the bacteria growth would have to do with the unsanitary conditions that the milk would be met with when they reached their urban dairies and distribution sites in the 19th century. And you guys just had an episode about how dirty the world 19th century was, was. yeah so. <laughs> just how dirty the world was in america i mean let's just say this america seems to be always lagging behind other like when it comes to things like this um mm. but uh but yeah it's i mean these are problems that plague pittsburgh to this day you know yes. un- unsanitary shit in the streets um unpaved roads just horses shitting everywhere people shitting everywhere so, yeah. I've heard they don't even. I've heard they don't even wash their dishes. They just reuse them dirty. Just, <laughs> you know, they just don't understand like soap. They said know? there's too much flavor left on that plate to be washing it. Definitely, Sunday steak is best served on Thursday. <laughs> so, but yeah, ah man, ugh. outside of just milk, imagine all the meat being transported and like ugh, in yes. all that poop and ugh, gross. There was a book published in the 30s, I believe, called The Jungle, which went into the uh, the meat processing plants in Chicago and just how disgusting that some of the processed meat that was going to market was coming yep. out of those factories. Uh, with Sinclair Lewis. Yep. Sinclair Lewis. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I only yep. know that because we I talked about him in that book on when I did that uh, Brinkley series. Because them two were oh, like yeah. friends, yeah. Yeah, really disgusting. Basically, there was people shoulder to shoulder with large like cleavers and like fingers would get in the meat and, you know, just they were basically just dissecting large cows like in a line. And it was just disgusting. Pieces of meat would be picked up off the floor. Rats would be everywhere. It's horrible. Mm. Now, the laws requiring the pasteurization of milk would be mostly state to state and local government to local government and really wouldn't be mandated on the federal level until, 
get this, 1987. Yikes. When the FDA mandated pasteurization of all milk and milk products for human consumption, with the exception of aged, unprocessed, or aged, unpasteurized cheese, as long as it had been properly labeled as unpasteurized. Now, this would effectively make the interstate sale of raw milk illegal. However, local sale of raw milk is still legal in the states of Arizona, of course, California, Connecticut, Idaho, Maine, New Hampshire, New Mexico, Nevada, South Carolina, Utah, Vermont, and Washington. Conspicuously, Wisconsin's left off of there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they definitely do it illegally anyway, but... uh... Yes. Yeah, I'm like, California, that seems weird. But then I think maybe there's a lot of people who are like, I need it 100% organic. I need it straight from the cows to make sure there's no whatever in it. You know what I mean? Oh, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Well, for California and New Hampshire, I know that they're big cheese states, mm. like Wisconsin is. Uh, California is the commercial with the happiest cows on earth. And... New Hampshire, in that movie, Thank You for Smoking, that senator was from New Hampshire, and he made fun of the fact that their cheese causes heart disease. (laughs) Well, that's not great. Yeah. Now, a little bit like ending with the history, I was going to mention too, condensed milk was actually created for, well, basically during the Civil War. Uh, You take out about 60% of the water, and then you can it, and then you can add water to it later. And it was kind of a good way to get milk you know, through the supply lines without going bad. So. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I mean, now the only thing that, that shit's used for is uh, baking stuff, as far as yes. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to talk about it too, uh, powdered milk. So both condensed milk and powdered milk became like really popular when they were first like invented and sold on the market. And then they kind of lost their popularity. Now they're mostly just used for like my mom, whenever she bakes, she'll just make up some powdered milk and use that for baking because she doesn't keep milk. So does the powdered milk still make her stomach upset? Not when she bakes with it. Okay. So not when it's cooked. Gotcha. When you cook the milk out of it. Gotcha. It's just like the thickening aspect of it. Okay. Okay. Also, I was going to say chocolate milk too was invented when European colonizers went over to Jamaica and the indigenous people living on the island gave him a mixture of cocoa, like the ground up cocoa or ground up cocoa beans, whatever you call it, and water. And he said it didn't taste very good. So he put some milk with it and it tasted really good. So when he brought it back to Europe, he actually sold it as a medicine, which happens with most you know new drinks. They try to sell it as a medicine. Okay. So this is interesting because obviously the cocoa tasted like shit because chocolate in its raw form tastes like shit. Um, yes. Obviously. So moder- he- modern chocolate milk... I can't. Oh, I, I, oh, go I ahead. forgot to mention he added sugar with it too. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was gonna say I that'd be interesting if they put you know like a hundred percent pure chocolate or cocoa in it, and the sweetness of the milk kind of activates it. But if he puts sugar in it on top of that, then that makes more sense. Yeah, I forgot to say that. Um, well, forgot to write it down, but he put so he put milk and sugar along with the cocoa and the water. And it kind of it thickened it up and it sweetened it. So gotcha. it made it like more like palatable. Uh, this actually was during the like really long time ago. I didn't think chocolate milk was this old. It was during the 1600s. That oh, this wow. was kind of like 
created. So. Okay. All right. But it's not that far of a stretch to think that someone just put chocolate with milk and, you know, it's not some huge invention that you had to, you know, have some big machine to do. Well, it's just like um, Family Guy said, when the the drunk guy eating peanut butter and the drunk guy eating chocolate crash their cars <laughs> together, Officer Reese's shows up on the scene and tastes it, and, uh, and then you have Reese's uh, peanut butter cups. And then puts them both down with a bullet to the head. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this is where history meets with conspiracy. As, just like with most every propaganda campaign that we have ever spoken of, the pro-milk propaganda machine first fired up in the post-World War I era. And this was a direct result of dairy farmers being allowed to organize and begin ad campaigns to sell their milk. Now, they would use, of course, the Mad Men-style advertisers that had been born out of the First World War's American propaganda machine. Hell yeah. Corporate propaganda, or I guess, yeah, capitalism propaganda. Yep, capitalism propaganda born out of nationalist propaganda. Mm. So they actually kind of, after the war years, they kind of went hand in hand, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, if we don't really think about it, but... We literally have, what, three minutes of capitalism propaganda in between our TV shows. (laughs) If you watch fucking, uh, we call them commercials now, obviously, but. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. In a lot of my history classes, we actually looked at a lot of the propaganda comparisons between, uh, like World War I, you would see the comparisons between England and France and then also Germany and some of the other, you know, um, Axis powers back then. So interesting. Actually, central powers. They were central powers in World War One, not access. I fucked mm. that up. But now all of this came about this organization of dairy farmers from the Capper Volstead Act of 1922. And it allowed certain agricultural producers, including dairy producers, exemptions from antitrust laws, allowing them to form voluntary cooperatives. Now, this was to produce, market, and transport their goods. Now, these agricultural cooperatives, they said, were going to be needed because of the post-World War I depression on farm goods. Now, this was, of course, resulting from the forced overproduction of farm goods during the war and the lack of need for goods in the time after the armistice. Now, the act was named after the sponsor of the bill, Senator Arthur Capper of Kansas and Representative Andrew Volstead of Minnesota. You so a good Norseman. You son of a bitch. I feel like <laughs> there's something with Volstead in the Twin Cities, but I don't know what it is. I don't. Was he kind of a famous guy? I don't know if he was very famous, but Minnesota, Minneapolis, and St. Paul especially loved to name shit after prominent politicians. Yeah, so. that's true. Native Americans and politicians, <laughs> they're two things. Yeah. All of the, uh, basically, all of the important politicians, like Hubert Humphrey, there was Walter Mondale, like everything is named after those two guys, pretty much. Everything new that pops up, it seems like. Right, right. Very true. Now, getting back to World War One, the war effort at home required farmers to invest in the newest technologies, basically the latest and greatest, and even made them really just stray away from the old methods that they used to farm. And this included diversified farming. Uh, This created many farms that solely produced maybe just one product. 
many of them became dairies and they had to produce in large quantities because of the investment in equipment and livestock those dairy farmers would keep producing large quantities after the war had ended now this would of course cause supply to skyrocket just as demand was plummeting which of course brought prices right along with it only worsening during the great depression which saw many dairy farmers striking including the now famous pictures of dairy farmers dumping out their milk in protest of the cripplingly low prices just as inner city children were starving. Yeah, that's not great. Now, in response, the government would set up programs to try and alleviate the low prices and lack of sales for milk, subsidizing the advertising for dairy products during the Depression-era New Deal organization, which was called the Works Progress Administration, and one of which claimed that milk was actually an energy drink. The one that I'm talking about came with the phrase, milk for warmth, and it was a painting of a young woman drinking a glass of milk. This was actually made for the Cleveland Division of Health, and the Food and Drug Administration in 1941. I'm actually going to put try to remember to put that poster up on Instagram when I make the post okay. for this so okay. you can see it. Okay. Well, did they yeah, they had caffeine back then. I was like maybe that was the closest thing to an energy drink. Did they oh, didn't yeah, really no. have soda, did they? Or I guess maybe they did. They had soda, but it wasn't it was still like the fountain style. It wasn't they didn't really start bottling it until world war one um i mean they were bottling it but it was much more popular to go down to the local soda fountain and like the soda the soda shops and grab you know grab fresh soda Mm. okay interesting yeah back when coke was still made with cocaine so (laughs) that's a real energy drink there asked robert downey jr well a lot of the like early sodas were actually medicines so they were kind of like being transformed from medicines that included like drugs and alcohol to just soda during this time too. So, yeah, yeah. Is it what was in Pepsi? The drug in Pepsi? Pep- Pepsid. Pepsid. That's what it was. Yep. Now Pepsi and Coke come with no Pepsid or Coke. Though Coca Cola is actually still made with um, coca leaves. It's just they take all of the drugs out of it before. That's how Coca Cola Classic is made. Is gotcha. All of the all of like the the active ingredient in the coca leaves is actually like sapped out of it, and then they sell that to medicine companies. So, oh, I thought you were gonna just say they give that to the board members. <laughs> they just have a big pile of it right in the middle, <laughs> fucking uh, Scarface style. Honestly, with a big corporation like that, I could one hundred percent see them like under the table selling that to like fucking drug cartels or something. Yeah, well, no, this is pharmaceutical companies that they sell the extracted cocaine out of. But what I'm saying is, oh, yeah, like in a shady way, I wouldn't put it past them. No, I mean, you can't say that they do. You have to add in the supposedly or the allegedly. But Mm. yeah, it's I mean, it's one of those deals where if you found out it was happening, you wouldn't be surprised. No, absolutely not. Yeah, I found out that on uh, it was an episode of how it's made. Oh, uh, how co- how Coca Cola still uses coca leaves? So. Is that uh, Mark Summers? I think he's the host, right? Oh, it's the History Channel one. So I have no oh. idea who the host is. There's just a narrator. Gotcha. So. Yeah. Now another way to get rid of excess milk still lingering in the market was to ship it overseas to the countries in need during World War II. 
Now, this was in the form of powdered milk, which was made from skim milk, which is the byproduct of the production of cheese. Now, after World War II, powdered milk was advertised and sold to Americans and became very popular. It was basically a way just to keep milk for longer without the worry of spoilage. Now, as for skim milk, before it was sold as a separate product, skim milk was actually the byproduct of making cheese, like most usually just dumped into rivers and streams uh, before this practice was halted because of the horrid smell of rotten milk downriver. It caused them to need to like just make a product out of it rather than to have to dispose of it in a way that wouldn't, you know, be expensive or cause anyone to have to smell it. Mm. Yeah, that's tr- that's a good point. They could have just gave it to all the stray cats in the city. Pretty much. I mean, the stray been. cats are the stray cat population is there just to eat rats though. I mean, did you that's see- why you should never feed stray cats. Did you see the uh thing? I think it was in Chicago they released like was it like a thousand stray cats to kill all the rats in the city? <laughs> yes, I did hear that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Now you're going to have a million goddamn cats and then nobody to take care of them. Then you're going to have dead cats. It's just Jesus Christ. Cats take care of themselves. Don't worry about cats. They'll be fine on their own. <laughs> they actually think that like they're your master. Well, so yeah, of you course can't, they You cat do. lovers forget about that shit. I you? know. I just feel bad for seeing cats who have like a two-year life expectancy yeah well i think it was i'm not sure i'm not sure if it's a rumor or not but they were saying that maybe the rat population had increased because of covid and less people like going outside and the rats like not being scared off by humans anymore like they were out in the open now Uh, is that part of it had you heard that too i hadn't but i hadn't heard that but here's the thing when I was in Chicago, I smelled rotting shit from the sewers. So if it's anything getting close to like New York, um, yeah, they probably have rats everywhere. Those were possibly just Steelers fans in town <laughs> for a game, but <laughs> they make them sleep in the underground hotels. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it's just because of how old Chicago is and how they built the sewage systems. Like they have grates on the the downtown area streets. So you can smell it when it's hot. It comes up through there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's I've been to Chicago once. And I mean, if you go to Michigan Avenue, like down by the piers and everything, it's amazing. But if you go outside of that, like touristy area, it's a little uh, I didn't really like it that much. Well, they do have great pizza there. Well, I I do like their style. Michigan Avenue is where I smelled the shit. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. But it was kind of a hot summer day or whatever. So. Yeah, that could be it. I don't know. I'm just, I just figured it was an old city and that's just, you'd have to demolish the city to redo the sewer. So (laughs) yeah, I went during the winter. So maybe Mm. I didn't, uh, maybe I didn't get the full effect. It's all frozen poopy. Definitely. So moving on in the 1970s, good old Jimmy Carter subsidized American milk, actually buying up the excess milk on the market for about $2 billion per year, which would be turned into butter, cheese, and dried milk, uh, all of which would be stored in a system of caves, basically just held and reserved around the country, 35 states. This created what became known as government cheese. Yeah, yeah, this is, so my, actually within the last few months, my 
mom and dad because of all the food sh- uh, shortages from COVID and everything, and they'd have the food lines. They said, oh, you know, back in our day, you know, the government would give, I think it was lower income families like uh, milk, butter, cheese and stuff like that. And they, yeah, they mentioned it was government milk and government cheese or whatever. Yeah, they would basically leave a box for yeah. low-income families on their door, and it'd have big bricks of cheese in it. Yeah, and yeah, now it's kind of just like, oh, somebody else will help you out <laughs> if you're starving to death. But you uh, know, there's a church right around the corner, and they're real nice to like, real nice to hobos like yourself. We so. we have one condition: you have to swear your allegiance to the, your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, we heard that you get a check from the government for $500 a month. Now, we would like 20% of that in yeah. the coffers. So. <laughs> maybe more. Now, that's the minimum. Maybe more if you're feeling generous. Yeah, if you love Jesus. I mean, <laughs> you don't you know. Now, this subsidization only caused dairy farmers to produce even more milk. After the government subsidy caused, of course, an artificial rave an artificial raising of dairy sales prices. Yeah. The old cliche, you can't ever have anything nice. Definitely. Yeah. It was meant to kind of level it off, but it actually just skyrocketed. Uh, It's kind of crazy how it works. But I mean, the government just kind of injecting money never really like works out the way people think it's going to. It always has these weird adverse side effects. Yeah. Yeah. They would almost, in this case, I'm assuming have to put like a cap on the amount they would buy from whatever farmers or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, they actually, the, the I kind of looked into it a little bit. The big problem with it is that they paid them more than the milk would be worth. And there was no, no cap. Like basically individual farmers would just make as like, they would have as many cows as they could produce as much as they could just because they knew the government would buy it. They weren't worried about it, like sitting around or not getting sold because they knew the government would come pick it up. So, yeah, yeah, they, I mean, in foresight, if they ever had to do something like that again, I'm assuming they would have to put a, a limit on the amount that they would purchase from whatever farmer. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the kind of the thing we were talking about, like how bad it is just to inject money. Uh, one of the weird side effects from the government just injecting money into people's wallets is cryptocurrencies have fucking skyrocketed ever since that. A lot of people were throwing money into the stock market a few months ago, and now it seems like everyone's using their new checks to get cryptocurrency. I've heard a lot of people talking about how they use their tax return for Bitcoin and mm. Dogecoin or doggy coin, whatever yeah, it is, and yeah. Ethereum. So I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I call me a cynic, but I feel like one of these days somebody is going to <laughs> make off with people's money and leave everybody broke. Yeah, definitely. It's it's reaching that whole. I mean, just a few years ago, Bitcoin was worth, I think, like hold and steady at fifteen to seventeen thousand, and then it skyrocketed up to like. I think at most it was fifty eight, sixty thousand dollars. So well, cri- it's cri- it's it's bubble. It's it has to be a bubble. I the think. I I kind of view cryptocurrency seems like the new gold, right? The worse the economy is, the higher gold is. Uh, so and now people are just dumping that money in cryptocurrencies. Yeah, that's the problem. Is it's it's not really the new gold; it's the new fiat currency. Like well, all I, fiat. 
you see what I'm saying is like oh yeah, like, gotcha. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a safeguard. Like they're trying to safeguard their money. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. When really they're putting it in the most volatile fucking. Because <laughs> you hear you hear about like Bitcoin going up twenty grand and down fifteen grand the next day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you hear yeah. how volatile it is. So. Absolutely. Now, once it was realized that basically the government just paying the dairy farmers $2 billion a year wasn't sustainable at all, and also not really helping the problem at all, another example of government overreach came into process. In 1983, the National Dairy Promotion and Research Board was created, which according to MorningAgClips.com, which is a super reputable you know, rag yeah. out there, <laughs> It is a board composed of 36 members who represent 12 geographic regions within the United States, plus one member who represents dairy importers. The board was established by the Dairy Production Stabilization Act of 1983 to develop and administer a coordinated program of advertising and promotion to increase the demand of dairy products and ingredients. Now, what that all means is the group uses the Dairy Checkoff Program and is tasked with finding new and clever ways, basically just to slip dairy products into our American diet. Now, some of these measures, including the board using its menu development expertise, as they put it, to help Pizza Hut create the stuffed crust pizza, which I do have to say, thank you, National Dairy Promotion and Research Board. That was great. It was pretty thank good. Thank you very much. It is pretty good. Loved it. I still love it to this day. Now, this includes, of course, Paul Rovey, the then chairman of the National Dairy Promotion and Research Board, who said in a 2002 board meeting that we helped Pizza Hut develop those pizzas, which, of course, was the stuffed crust pizza and the much less popular insider pizza, which was just two thin crust pizzas slapped on top of each other. So we made them use a lot of cheese. And he finished with, well... Look what happened. The summer of cheese at Pizza Hut moved 100 million pounds of cheese. I found these quotes in an article that was just kind of like questioning the USDA's handling of the food pyramid uh, when it was so heavily invested in the dairy industry. And this was by the Washington Bureau of the Chicago Tribune in 2003. Wow. So a fucking dork named Paul Rovey yeah. <laughs> helped develop. Uh, I never had the insider pizza, but obviously stuffed crust, quite popular, oh, yeah. quite popular. Yes. Stuffed crust stuck around. Mm. So insider pizza, not very popular. I actually went to YouTube and watched the commercial for the insider pizza. They did have a, a little clip and I do remember the commercials, but I don't believe I've ever had one. But I mean, stuffed crust pizza when it came out was fucking huge. Yeah. And they actually like they... They had it, they got. They did away with it once the promotion ended, but then they quickly brought it back because people were, you know, begging for it when they called Pizza Hut, so. Now it's in, like, uh, frozen pizzas and shit. Yeah, now everyone has some mm. version of a stuffed crust pizza, it seems like. Mm -hmm. Now, the Dairy Checkoff Program has also aided other companies in creating menu items and selling even more dairy products. This includes McDonald's, Domino's, Taco Bell, among many, many others. Now, the program has also increased the dairy consumption in schools, making regular and flavored milks available in vending machines in some schools. Also, adding yogurt and cheese cubes to schools' lunches. And, like we mentioned before, 
having milk come in plastic bottles rather than those unsightly milk cartons. Most importantly, they got pizza put on the menus of more and more schools and much more often. Mm. Well, kids weren't going to complain about having pizza. Oh, no. Fuck no. That's the best fucking day when it was pizza day. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm surprised you didn't. they didn't list uh, Dairy Queen on there because you'd assume they would use a lot of milk products. I don't think Dairy Queen needs any persuading to mm. put more more milk products. I mean, they're pretty much, you know, just it's all milk anyway. So I let's see Taco Bell, I guess the cheese mainly. Yeah, um, I forgot what it was. It's like the Chalupa or something they helped create. There was something with a lot of cheese that they helped create. So, OK. All right. Well, uh, how about I was like the sour cream, I guess, maybe. But they have probably very watered down sour cream yeah i mean i think with taco bell it was mostly just their cheese it's like most restaurants it was just getting them to use more cheese in their products uh mcdonald's example was the the egg mcmuffins with cheese they got them to use bigger slices that were thicker that was their big gotcha so instead of using those like the cheap flimsy like the cheese that they used to put on it now they put on like real cheese so Hmm. instead of the like American cheese. They'll use like real cheese. Okay. All right. I actually really like those, but I haven't had McDonald's in f- fucking forever. Yeah. I mean, here's, okay. So here's the the thing about my research. I got a lot of my research from either <laughs> vegan sites or from PETA sites. Yeah. So they were not very happy about a lot of this. So, I mean, it does kind of sound a little bit militant, like what I'm going into. But I mean, here's the thing about, like me for real, I actually really like this promotion board because it's gotten like some pretty good food. Like a lot of the food that they were talking about, I was like, man, I love that product. I love that product too. But they were talking shit about it because it was using meat product, like dairy. It was using like more meat, more cheese, more, you know, putting obviously the the whole, the vegan websites hate that they're using any dairy products, meat, cheese, and PETA hates that they're using meat at all. They would, yeah. of course, like just plants. So they'd probably just prefer if we just killed humans and put them in meat if we have to have it. Oh yeah, I assume so. Soylent green all the way. <laughs> yeah, those fucking memes about the uh, Beyond Meat actually being human—that's great. Oh my god, that—that's uh, probably the future there, Phil. The uh, biologically grown meat or whatever. Yeah, free range. Mm. <laughs> I guess technically. Now, uh- Yeah, technically it would be free range. Now, other than manipulating what Americans eat, the program also came up with some of the catchy slogans that we all remember. This would include got milk and milk does the body good. Now, this would include, of course, the massive ad campaigns that went along with those sayings. Everyone Mm. remembers the got milk billboards and ads with the celebrities with the uh, the white paint above their lip. To make it look like a milk mustache. Yep, yep, I remember that. Now, speaking about schools, government programs involving free and low-cost student lunches began back during the Truman administration, which passed the National School Lunch Act. This was passed in 1946 and enacted in 1948. Now, this was after doctors who had examined the newly drafted men going into the armed forces would start to really notice that among the poorer draftees, malnutrition during the Great Depression was heavily present. 
and caused a lot of these young men to be rejected by the military boards. Now, this new legislation invoked that any child who took part in the low-cost or free lunch program would have to be served one and a half to two pints of whole milk in order to curb malnutrition. Now, this is really just the main reason of the forcible nature why milk is served to school children to this day. Because it's not only the the poor malnutrition child who's getting this milk, it's every single child who has to take this milk. And this was because the government was getting more and more involved in milk subsidies over the years. Because, of course, like we mentioned before, the excess of milk on the market. Really, too, with the cooperations and all of the ad campaigns and the lobbies, there's a lot of people who are in the pocket of big milk these mm. days. Yeah, I could. Uh, I mean, you definitely make it sound like that. It's Here's the interesting thing. So I'm kind of trying to, you know, be the devil's advocate. So we could say this, number one, I'm assuming that each state determines the amount of money that they want to then give to the public school systems. Obviously, some states are much uh, better and at promoting education than others. You know, that's no sh- uh, surprise to anybody. So I wonder if, if there was another suitable drink that was nutritious they could give to students, would it then be too they view it as too expensive. Do you know what I'm saying? I can imagine that. I mean, I don't know if this is a state-to-state program. I'm pretty sure that this is all federal. So the funding comes from the federal government on this one. For meals. What's that? uh, For meals, you mean. Like, overall meals, not just milk. Yes, yeah. um, for For the school lunches. Yeah, I'm just talking about, like, kind of the milk in this. But... It is part of the the federal government kind of push to get lunches. I mean, during the, I think it's during like the kind of the 80s, it started to be like the nutritious part of the lunches started to go down. That's kind of the joke about ketchup being classified as a vegetable. That's when that came in to effect. Gotcha. was like during the Reagan era. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's a whole nother can of worms where it's fucking the nutrition of the food they feed kids nowadays is like didn't they say it's like worse than prison food yes basically it's the uh you might as well be feeding them taco bell has the same nutritional value kind of deal you're just feeding them fillers yeah basically and then uh obviously michelle obama made a big push for like healthier meals for kids and it's uh yeah she got a lot of flack for that but uh, We, we can see how well that went yeah. yeah, well, I'm just saying, like, think of all the f- fucking negative backlash she got just for trying to <laughs> have the schools serve kids better meals or more nutritious meals. That's pretty uh, insane. Yeah, she should have just, uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe if it was one of those situations where she was trying to say, like, better tasting food or because it, it was the... I think a lot of the problem with what she was doing was the whole like trying to get schools to have like the gardens. I think that's kind of where people had a problem with it. I mean, people, if you didn't like Michelle Obama, you just weren't going to like anything that she said, really. And some people just didn't like her. I mean, they were just never they wouldn't like her if she saved them from a fire. You know what I mean? Like same with Obama. So same with Trump, too. Some people, you know, you're going to it's going to be split right down the middle. They're just never going to like you. 
So, well, okay, taking politics out of the side of or taking politics out of the equation, I think as like any rational person, this is how I feel, should be like the youth of America should be fed, you know, a better meal than just heavily or just shit you throw in the oven and then it has so much so many preservatives in it it's like i don't know you know what i mean yeah well food that a lot of times it it felt like food that should have been fried was just thrown into an oven and then served like lukewarm it like a lot of times like whenever they would have like fish sticks or something like that it felt like they would they were never cooked fully you know yeah I mean, let's not get let's not get it twisted. This is uh, feeding whatever two hundred kids, or if you're in a big city, feeding five hundred kids has to be quite a task to do every single day. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, if you're cooking food, you're cooking food. You know what I mean? It's one of those deals where, yeah, they're trying to save time and everything, but it should be edible too. Yeah, you know? I, I and it, it's it's a lot quicker to make a salad than it is to make some of these other foods so right big salad you know you basically (laughs) just toss gigantic you know like salads and shit together you get them in bags at the store you know remember our school would charge you extra if you wanted to eat at the salad bar yeah i do remember that (laughs) okay so i want to know phil obviously milk is a very integral part of american history in the last you know hundred years um i I understand they learned to utilize America's greatest weapon, which was capitalism, to convince people to use more milk products. Okay, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Um, The milk in schools, okay, obviously you're not a fan. Maybe some kids are. I don't know. What would you recommend as an alternative to milk for lunches? Water. Okay. Or maybe apple juice, orange juice. Mm. The problem is they would serve them the the apple juice or orange juice that's pretty much might as well just be soda, like the not yeah. very healthy for you. They wouldn't give you like the full, you know, the good orange juice. They no. would give you like the cheapest that they could find. Right, right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like outside of water, the alternatives, I don't, they're not great. I would love to know no. like uh international people who listen i would love them to email us and let us know what like the kids get there i don't know if it's different i would love like britain or europe or anywhere else around the world i love them to email us or message phil uh or whatever and and let us know what the kids in those countries drink yeah and they can get a hold of us in our email great segue yeah. they can get a hold of us from our email subliminal d podcast at gmail.com uh love hearing from you guys actually just got a couple of really good emails in the past uh couple well the past actually week actually about the uh the mattress conspiracy so thank you for those they were amazing uh we also have an instagram subliminal deception podcast on ig uh also really great hearing from you guys got a lot of good likes and replies to our last post. So thank you for that. Coney and I also have our own Instagrams. Mine is sdpodphil. I barely ever use it. And I don't know if anyone actually is, you know, messaging me on that. Sorry about that. Cody, you have one? Yeah, you can follow my personal Instagram at Cody's above. 
I uh, post memes and stuff so you can enjoy all them. The last thing we need you guys to do is to go on to iTunes and leave the show a five-star review if you have not yet. Um, if you want to type your favorite type of milk in there, please do that. Just make sure it's five stars. If you're a Spotify user, all you got to do is hit that five uh, or <laughs> you got to hit that follow button. I forgot Spotify does not have stars. Yeah, hit that follow button. Helps us uh, boost up the ratings and get us uh, more exposure, which is what we strive to do. Otherwise, Phil, excellent episode. This is something I never would have thought about. So I think it's a very thought-provoking and a very eye-opening, you know, conspiracy for something that we've all uh, dealt with throughout our life. Definitely. Oh, I was also going to say, too, um, I was looking at our latest uh, listens on Podbean, and we are actually now getting more listens from Spotify than Apple. So thank you for that. Let's end Apple's monopoly on that. Hell, hell yeah. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode, and we will see you next week. Thanks, guys.